Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. It's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and we are back in the pastor's office this Sunday. Did you miss me? No, seriously, I'm asking you. And if I ask, I want an answer. Did you miss me? I've been gone since Easter Sunday. As a matter of fact, we ran a rerun on Easter Sunday. So I've been gone over a month. Uh, As I shared with you on the last show that we did... um, I headed over to Ghana uh, for two weeks. Uh, This is my 10th trip to Ghana. Uh, We adopted uh, over there this time. We dealt with two orphanages. Uh, We dealt with a domestic abuse center. And then also uh, we supported the school that is named for my father, Reverend Lee Mason Jr. I got to tell you something. Uh, If you ever get the chance to travel to Africa, go home. Take the opportunity. Don't worry about how long the flight is. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to be comfortable or uncomfortable. When you get on the ground of the motherland and you're able to see folk that look like us in charge and there's peace and there's love and there is hospitality, I promise you it is a trip. That will change the rest of your life. It changed mine in 2016. That's why I've been back 10 times. Mm. So I want you to know that we're happy to be back in the pastor's office. We're happy to be back. But guess what? The primaries are getting close. May 16th is right around the corner. I've said this to you over and over again over the last several months. This is going to be the most important primary election in the history of our city. Over the last several months, we've had the opportunity to talk to Helen Gim, Rebecca Reinhart, uh, Warren Bloom, Sherelle Parker. Um, We've had the opportunity to talk to just about every candidate that is running for mayor and several that are running for city council. I will say this. And I'm very clear, and you know me, I I just believe in being honest. Uh, Any candidate that we have not spoken to that's running for mayor, it's only because they have not agreed to come on our station and come on our show. So we've spoken to just about every candidate. We've talked to every front runner, but there's one front runner we've not spoken to, Mr. Brown. I know you're out there somewhere. I mean, we've been reaching out to you, sir. Come on. You're welcome on Philly's favor. You're welcome. 
All right, I got a candidate for mayor that's in here looking at me like I'm crazy right now. Bro, I just speak the truth. I don't know how to do anything else but speak the truth. Uh, so we are in the studio today continuing our conversations with the candidates that want to serve as the 100th mayor of Philadelphia. And I got to say this, I love candidates that come in person because there's nothing like a conversation where we can look at each other, read body language, and respond to one another. So I want to thank you for that first and foremost. I'll introduce you in a second. But I also want to thank this candidate because he came to Philly's Favors first candidates forum, first town hall that we've had. We've only been around three years, man. We've only been around three years. This was our first town hall that we had last Saturday. We had 18 of the candidates for city council here, and we had several of the candidates for mayor, and this gentleman was here. I want to introduce to you the representative for the 10th Legislative District here in Philadelphia, Mr. Amon Brown. Amon Brown, welcome into the pastor's office. Hey, man. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate this opportunity, uh, and thank you for having me at the, the candidates forum last week. Um, that was one of the best forums that I attended, uh, and and for several reasons. One, because it was in a church. Okay. Uh, so praise God to that. And then uh, just seeing the people, you know, from the community and the conversations that I had with them before and then after uh, during my exit, they were appreciative that, a, you know, candidates came to meet them. Uh, and then I was surprised because a lot of them knew who I was. And they said, we're rooting for, we're, we are rooting for you, okay. young black man. All right. All you know, right. And, and that meant a lot. So, uh, so first of all, you said that it was a good form because it was in a church. Let me start here. Mm -hmm. Did you grow up in the church? Are you currently a member of a church here in the city of Philadelphia? Absolutely. Talk to me. I grew up in a St. Matthew's AME Church at 57th and Summer. Between Avenger. Is that Avenger? No, no, that's okay. not Avenger. All right, go back. No, this is, um, right now is pa uh, Pastor Bird. Okay. Yes, Okay, yes. okay. Um, you might know Bishop Norris. It was it was Reverend Norris, now Bishop Norris. Okay. And then it went to um, Reverend Washington. Mm -hmm. And then from Re Reverend Washington, when he left, we had another pastor. Now we have Pastor Bird. Okay, so you are West Philadelphia. All day. Born and raised. Born and raised. All right, all right. So talk to us. Talk to us. First of all, again, welcome into the pastor's office. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, but talk to us about being born and raised here in this city. Talk to us about what that experience was for you and what it was about that experience that has now caused you to basically dedicate your life to giving back to this city. Yeah, you know what? I'll say uh, being born and raised in this city is a blessing uh, because you never know what you're going to get. Right. You have uh, such a diverse city, very different communities, but then very similar at the same time, because we they might look like different communities, but we have similar problems and issues uh, and similar ups and downs. Uh, you know, so being born and raised in West Philadelphia, uh, you know, experiencing deep poverty, uh, being a, a self-made entrepreneur, um, experiencing the prison system. You know, understanding firsthand what food insecurity is, uh, understanding the need of the YMCA's, the Salvation Armies, and after-school programs and summer camps, uh, appreciating the the Miss Gloria on the block who faithfully every summer used her home and served summer lunches to the kids on the block and never got anything for it. 
you know, so, um, you know, those experiences made me who I am. And those things that my family and I depended on as a child, we really don't really have anymore. Um, because the family that I grew up in, I'm one of seven, we needed each and every resource uh, because my mother was a substance abuser, um, you know, but she did what she could. And I'm thankful for her every single day because no matter, no matter what she had to do, she made sure we ate, you know, so I'm appreciative to, uh, to her, man, you know, um, and because of the decisions that she made, whether they were right or wrong, I'm here today to tell my story. Uh, and you know, uh, you know, I love her to death, Ricardo King. Man, listen. So, and 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 we've heard this story of young people being raised in homes where the parent was addicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got individuals in my church now that you know, young people who are dealing with that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? So many young people end up becoming statistics Mm -hmm. as a result of that type of upbringing or as a result of being exposed to that type of toxic environment in a lot of cases. Absolutely. How did you end up not becoming a negative statistic? You know, so I was almost there. You know, I was growing up in that kind of household. It puts young black men in this space of survival mode. And that's where I always was. Um, so having four younger siblings, two older brothers, I was always the the go-getter, the hustler in the family. So I started working with my hands early on. Uh, and that started out because of our landlord uh, forcing my brother and I to work and work off what my mother didn't pay when she would skip out the first of the month. So she'll leave the, thir- the night of the 31st. And don't come back until the sixth or the seventh. That check came that in. That check came the check came in and then she's gone. Yeah. And he's sitting out front in his pickup truck ten, twelve hours a day. So then that turned into y'all better get in this truck and work this off because your mom owe me. So not only did we have to work it off, but then he would take the food stamps. And remember, for those who know, food stamps are only valued at forty cents to the dollar. So she would give him five hundred in food stamps. But that was only $230, $40 worth of which she owed. But what I learned my working with my hands, the skills of painting and uh, and carpentry and, and, and demo demolition to steps and ripping up rugs, you know, that stuff stuck with me. So then I used what I learned. I took that and then I started my own little thing, getting, you know, make making ends meet, making sure I was able to make enough money to feed my family when I know my mother was going to be gone for seven or eight days at the first of the month. And in a way, that landlord kind of became a de facto mentor to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. His name was Big Joe. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, he used to, you know, uh, and God rest his soul, but he used to literally take us to his properties in like Kensington and Frankfurt. And we were 11, 12, 13 years old. And he would drop off a five-gallon of white and a five-gallon of brown, paint all the walls white, and all the floors brown. Wow. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, and we wouldn't see him for 12 hours. You know, you were talking earlier about the fact that 
each section of the city has its own personality. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I tell my listeners all the time, Philly's Favor, the studio, is located in Frankfurt. Uh, and and there's one thing that you know about Frankfurt. Don't call it Northeast Philadelphia. It's Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Yes, and yes, and yes. it's like that brewery town mm-hmm. and so many of the other sections of the city. Every part of this city is steeped in its own culture, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that's one of the things I love about Philadelphia, uh, and and being a part of this great community. So, so, so you grew up in an impoverished setting, mm-hmm. but you did not become a statistic. So, Talk to me about the entrepreneurial uh, 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 energy. That mm-hmm. you've had, I've read a lot about the various businesses mm-hmm. that you've started, and and, and 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 talk to us about how that entrepreneurial experience has equipped you to serve right now Pennsylvanians, right now your tenth legislative district, potentially the city of Philadelphia. Yes. Uh, so being a self-made entrepreneur and stepping on some landmines, uh, having ups and downs having started businesses that failed, but then also started businesses that turned into hiring dozens of employees, which also set them up to open their own business because I was not a business owner who wanted it all to myself. I didn't want people to continuously always work for me. I wanted them to get to where I was. So I will have individuals and I still run into them to this day. And they're like, thank you for uh, teaching me and not keeping me right there. You know, so when individuals would come work for us, we would help them get their teacher certificate certification and then teach them the business. And then they were open their own. Um, you know, so, so, so creating entrepreneurs is something that they leave out and that's something that we did. And, and the hard, the hard times that I hit with, whether it was business taxes or, or um, hard money loans for renovations on properties, no one in my community ever taught me how to be a businessman. Financial literacy is not taught in our schools and other things in that nature. So those lived experiences equip me to make sure our city is, is prepared to help the little Iman Browns of the world or the little Austin Browns of the world who want to be entrepreneurs. So you don't have to step in or walk on those landmines. I've, I've, I've took them hits for you. And we're going to talk about some of those hits here in a few minutes, but but mm-hmm. talk to me about some of the businesses that you've operated. I want to kind of give our listeners a little yes, flavor. Yes, yes, So So uh, early childhood learning uh, facilities, so daycares, actually two of them were right here in Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. So Education Nation Learning Academy, which is on 4600 block of Frankfurt, and then we had one on 4451 Frankfurt Avenue. Um, so then my partner and I, we split ways. Just pause real quick. I actually think a couple of my members used to work for you, oh. uh, if I remember correctly. How many years ago was you, where your daycares open? Um, I believe they're still open now, but I'm not no longer part of them. Anymore. Yeah. But yeah, we started in 2012. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, um, a lot of people who were here at the forum on Saturday, they were parents of my of my programs. Kids, yeah, yes, yes. So, uh, um, so child care facilities. Uh, we, we I, I got involved in real estate, um, buying and flipping. Um, did some some renovating for some folks under my under my contractor's license, but then also I, I dib and dabbed in restaurants as well, uh, and, and those businesses were very successful. So so when did the pivot happen from being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. to moving into public service? Yeah, so it was 2019 when uh, uh, 
my local state representative got into a jam and then the, the seat became open. And I'll tell you this, I didn't know what the state rep did. They, they took civics out of our schools. Um, so the community, I had a community center at this time of 56 in Lancaster called Overbrook Beacon. And the community was like, we need somebody young. We need somebody who is, who is for us. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know anything about politics. I'm not involved with, uh, with political figures, but I am involved in my community. And, and the community said, that's all we need. And I ran in a special election in 2019. Uh, and some might say I was unsuccessful, but we were very successful. We came second out of four in a special election. And the strategy was, if we don't win this special election, the primary is six months out. So you'll be on a ballot twice in one year. So it was get your name out early as opposed to starting all over during the primary. So that was the strategy. The strategy was not actually to win. It was to get the name out there. Now, if we would have won, we'd have been happy. Right, right. But that wasn't the goal. Okay. So, so then the primary came around. And that's when we won the primary. And now here I am. Uh, that's when it was the 190th legislative district. And, and, you know, we've been we've been serving and we've been putting the people first. You're listening to Philly's favorite 100.7 FM. We're here talking to the state representative for the 10th legislative district of Philadelphia and candidate for mayor of the city of Philadelphia, Amon Brown. Man, again, uh, this is a great conversation. So you've been in the House now since 2020. Talk to our listeners because they need to make an informed decision. Talk to our listeners about some of the things you've achieved since you've been in the House. Yes, uh, and this is, and thank you for that question because a lot of folks don't typically ask that uh, because it's not city related. I'm the only candidate who 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 has active and in, in most recent legislative experience, uh, and we got a lot done. Um, and I'll say for those, one of the first things we got done was a historic deal I negotiated with the Pennsylvania gun shows to stop the ghost gun sales at the gun shows in Pennsylvania. And there's uh, about three out of three out of five crime scenes, uh, ghost guns are being used on, on these on these crime scenes. Explain to our listeners real quick. What are ghost guns? So so ghost guns, they are a they come in a box. It's like Legos for firearms. And they are not they're not classified as firearms because when you purchase it, it doesn't sh- it doesn't shoot. So you have to put it together. You have to buy some other parts that you can order on Amazon or online or actually buy from another vendor at the gun show. But then you spend about an hour or two putting it together, and then you have a fully fully functioning firearm. And what makes it illegal is when you sell it without getting it serialized. That's the law. But— so, so, but what, what we're finding in which I found out what ghost guns are back in 2018, when a bunch of young guys from my community, I walked into a home and they were blasting music and I was like, yo, what's going on in here? And they, they were putting the guns together and putting them away. They educated me on what they are. So when I went to, I guess the city leadership, they told me, no, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. So once I got this title, I used it for access. I went into the gun shows, found out who the owners of the gun shows were, and and I educated them on the impact of what they're uh, what they're allowing to be sold in my community. So then that turned into two weeks later, 
a statewide ban on the sale of these guns. Uh, you know, so, so that's one thing. We also, um, I was very instrumental in, in getting the $5 copay suspended during COVID for incarcerated individuals, which a lot of folks don't talk about. Uh, and that was impactful for, because people don't understand incarcerated folks are making 17 and 19 cent an hour. So if they have to pay $5 copay for headache medicine, or if they have a little ache or pain to go see a doctor, you got to work. They'll take you a month to make that $5 on top of getting food or paying your cable bill or, or your email account, things of that nature. And me understanding what goes on in our black communities, when you don't have something to put on your loved one books, even if it's just $5, you stop taking the calls. You, you ignore the calls. You don't reach out to them, things of that nature. And then the disconnect happens. And then, then eventually you, you start to forget about this person you, 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 you love so much. So it was, a, it was one of my priorities in Harrisburg that we connect incarcerated families, I mean, incarcerated individuals with their families. And what better way to do that than eliminate is something as small as $5. And I know a major focus of yours has also been small business. Talk to us about some of your achievements there. Yes. So we've been able to, uh, in my office, we're, 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 we're helping a lot of individuals actually become small businesses because of what I've been through. You know, I've, I came up thinking that, okay, I can go down to City Hall, get a business license, and I'm a small business. That's not the case. Uh, and I learned that through my experiences of my mishaps. So my office, uh, guy in my office, Larry White, he is, he's doing a phenomenal job in our office, helping young black uh, businesses get started off the ground, showing them what you need to do with the city, what you need to do with the state, and what you need to do with the federal government. Um, so we're helping a lot of, we're getting a lot of grants and things of that nature. But then also for the current businesses, we're getting them camera programs, free alarm systems, things of that nature. And it's also available for residents as well. And that did not take legislation. That took Understanding the need of the business corridor, saying, you know what, what's one, what, what is one way I can help small businesses? Uh, what's one way that I can help them financially? And it was helping them upgrade their security system. The cameras and technology is not cheap these days. So that's just a few things to name. So here's what I want to talk about real quick, all right? And we got to dig into this. And, and full disclosure, uh, I told Candidate Brown I was going to deal with this when we started the Absolutely. interview. You keep you spent you mentioned mishaps. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned taking the hits for others. Mm -hmm. You've had some challenges with the legal system. Yes. Uh, and and some of your opponents uh, have brought out. Uh, these issues, uh, basically saying that disqualifies you uh, from serving as mayor of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Talk to our listeners about that. Yeah, so uh, there was a few things that came out in an article or two that were hit pieces from, like you, like you mentioned, opponents. Uh, there was one with, uh, with, a, with a hard money lender for a renovation for one of my properties, um, but having not having the right credit score and things of that nature as a small business, you have to take the most expensive route. So we took a hard money route uh, to finish a property, but then COVID hit prices skyrocketed. So that amount that was borrowed, it wasn't enough to finish the property. So, so what we did was we put out an offer saying, look, this is what, this is what Almond Brown is able to pay. And then that offer was the client because that person was also in a financial, a financial jam and they needed more from me, which I couldn't handle at the time. But we showed that we were attentive. We did follow up and things of that nature. Uh, and then there was one where um, 
when I took what I, when I was a subcontractor for an individual and, and as a sub, I got hit with a lawsuit that got mailed to someone else's address in which we were not, we were not physically made aware of this lawsuit. And it went to a whole nother address that, that, that was not attached to me. So then years later, it comes out that this, this old lawsuit was buried in, in the city records. Um, but again, that was something that I was doing with a friend, subcontractor, making him, getting him situated so he can get this job done. And then I had to take the hit for it. You know, something you said earlier that was poignant is that nobody trained us to be entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about hard money. Uh, where I learned a terrible lesson was with merchant cash advances, mm. uh, and, and and which is nothing more than loan sharking, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 so I get it uh, when you say that um, there are just some things. You know what, Grandma, me say it this way: you just don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. uh, and you're trying the best you can to survive while also providing opportunities mm-hmm. for a whole lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I read the articles. I read about. I mean, there was a litany of things that people tried to bring out against you. Mm-hmm. Um, help our listeners understand why those experiences now can be a blessing to them. Exactly. Yes. So, so when I say I took hits. For us, you know, especially for black people in underserved communities like the one I grew up in, me going through what I went through, I now know what programs and systems are needed for our city. So nobody else got to get hit, get hit with hit pieces and papers when they want to just serve their city or serve their community, because that's the only thing that they're trying to hang over my head to hold me back. But they don't talk about the the guy who we just helped get home from serving 42 years in prison because of relationships with Department of Corrections, because of my relationship with Republicans in Harrisburg, because of my relationships across the state, which brought this man home from serving 42 years. And he's one of several. They don't want to talk about the, the, the 11 to 12 food banks that we have operating in West Philly three to four days a week serving in, in, in food deserts. They want to talk about the how we're leading in constituent services that West Philly has never seen before. You know, we're we're solving people's everyday problems and we're not we're not bragging about it. So you've been in the legislature since 2020. Yes, and by sir. the way, you're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM. We are in the studio live talking to candidate for mayor, Amon Brown. Uh, he has brought his beautiful daughter with him, Austin. Austin, just say hello to the folk in Philadelphia real quick. She's been so good. Say hello. Hi. Who, who are you? Who, who do you think they should vote for for mayor, Austin? <laughs> Look, I'm going to tell you what Don Imus told my oldest son one time. He said, they can't see you shaking your head. So, so it's all good. But listen, listen, we're, we're, talking, to, we're talking to Almond Brown. Listen, I want to go here. Um, you've been in the legislature now for almost, well, about three years. Yes, going on three years. You've made your announcement that you're running for mayor. You're out there. You're, you're, you're knocking on doors. You're doing everything you can. Why now? Because we're, we're so tired, man. Uh, our city, we're, we're communities like Frankfurt, we're, we're tired of being ignored, overlooked, and taken advantage of. Uh, we're tired of the turkeys and the book bags. You know, we're tired of, you know, being told one thing and showing us another. 
And what I'm experiencing in Harrisburg, right, I literally thought once I got elected, I'm going to Harrisburg and I'm going to be working with some serious folks. Everyone's going to have their 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 briefcases and their pencil sharpened and their, their everything you need because we're working hard to serve Philadelphia. It's not the case. It's not. And and I'm like, wow, am I, the, am I the only one, you know, just a handful of us? I'm like, well, is it? I thought it would be all of us on the same page, but it's not. You know, what we notice is that there's a lot of, uh, what's, what's the next step for me, right? And not, what do I need to do to put my community in a better position? There's opportunities in Harrisburg where we're given a whole loaf to take back home. But what we do is, and I'm saying we just because I'm elected, but what we, what, we, what we tend to see is that by the time we get back to our neighborhoods is crumbs to keep us coming back for more. And we need to end that. You know, when we get these titles, we get a lot of access, a lot. Trust me. I've been able to do some amazing things for our city because of this little title. But without this title, I'm still little Lyman Brown from 56 and Market with a bullet in his ribs. You can't forget who you are and where you come from. And, and, we, and we, we are tired of going through that. You know, so why now? It's time for real people with real problems to, to, to lead the city. You know, with lived experiences, not, not someone who read a data, some data, or somebody told, some, somebody told you what's going on in, 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 in that gun violence uh, riddled community. No, I live it every single day. I still live two blocks from where I was shot, a block and a half from where I was locked up and sent up State Road. You know, so so this is real for me. And if you look at the top six candidates, I'm the only one that live in the ghetto. The only one. You got four that live in Center City. And then you got one or no, you got three to live in Center City or one and one that live up in Chestnut Hill area. And when they mapped it out, I'm right there at 56 and Market, that community that made me the man I am today. So. Let's go to crime and violence in the city of Philadelphia. Yes. Uh, one thing that we've clearly seen uh, over the last few years, and I, I really do associate a lot of it with the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, is we've seen a rise in serious crime and violence in our inner cities. Mm-hmm. And Philadelphia has not been absolved from that rise. Mm-hmm. What does an Almond Brown administration look like? on gun violence and crime in this city. Yeah. So you're, you're going to see a very fair and balanced approach, which is going to include community and cops. So we're going to invest heavily in prevention and intervention, but at the same time, make sure our law enforcement officers, for one, we're going to reform the police department, make sure we have a police commissioner that understands the workings of Philadelphia and who came up through the department and that is respected in the department. Uh, and then we're going to get rid of the bad apples. In every business or every industry, you have a handful of bad apples. You got bad politicians. Y'all not calling us all bad. So when we have bad cops, you can't say they're all bad cops. So let's get rid of the bad apples. Let's let's get the FOP to dig up the files that they the ones that they that they've been protecting that we know that do not need to be there and get rid of them, whatever it takes to get rid of them. But then you also have the the prevention intervention. Let's invest in the churches again, right? We all know uh, the church I grew up in, I remember on Sundays, we averaged 750 
people filling those plates and doing what they do to keep the church rolling. Times are different. So if we have all these city and state funds, the beacon of my community was churches. And that's a fact. We had daycares in churches. We had summer camps in churches. We had Bible study in churches, um, um, things in that nature. So, so it's going to be very community and cop focused, but in that at the same time, we're going to be, be strategic about how we address the violent criminals. I got two follow-ups on that. First follow-up, uh, you said a police chief who came up through the ranks and is well-respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to assume that in an Almond Brown administration, Danielle Outlaw is not in, she's out. Yeah, she don't fit the mold, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Fair, fair question, fair answer. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if I had $5 for every politician that has either come in the studio or talked to me on the phone mm-hmm. about how they're going to make sure that churches mm-hmm. get the resources they need to deliver projects, programs, and make a difference in their communities, mm-hmm. I would have enough money to give the churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bottom line is, bottom line is, and I'm connected to a lot of pastors in this city, most of the resources that are coming from Harrisburg, coming from the city, are going to about five, six, seven different mm-hmm. churches. And, and and I call it the I mega I call it the mega church uh mashup. Yeah, and I have a problem right? with that. And, and but here's the thing though, and I and I gotta say this, and I've said this to other candidates for mayor. I understand that when you're running for office you want to walk in and see the most people possible because they can get your message and react to it. But there's only about five or six of those churches Mm -hmm. in the whole city. Mm -hmm. Most of your churches have between 80 and 350 members. 80 and 300. As a matter of fact, if you look at nationwide statistics, Mm -hmm. the average attendance in in churches across this country is right now, last I checked, around 74 people. That's the average. So so the churches that are really in the community, and I'm not saying these mega churches don't get their arms rolled up, don't roll up their sleeves. Lonnie Herndon does our, our afternoon drive here at Philly's Favor. I see the work he's doing over in his community. Mm-hmm. All right? But at the end of the day, it's those community churches that baptized you. Mm-hmm. It's those community churches that know JoJo down the block. And if he's acting up, that pastor can walk over to him and say, man, come sit in my office. Mm-hmm. It's those community church that can make a difference but guess what they're not resourced yeah so so and you are and i I agree with you one million percent but i'm not a politician i'm a servant and what i say is gold i know exactly the impact of the church especially the small churches it bothers me that we have churches that open food banks during covid not one city agency or state agency helped them get storage for the fruits and vegetables and the meats. They've been serving our communities on the street. You wouldn't know that if you're not involved. So if you look at, uh, we have Bishop Jackson on 59th and Lansdowne. We, we, we got him set up. I was the first person to get him a $30,000 grant from the state. And it wasn't a reimbursement. It was a check directly from the state. And it, and it took care of refrigeration, got him a van, got him, got him stipends for the workers and everything. And he's still getting additional. So so I understand the power of the small churches. I'm not talking about the megas. They got they can do their own. They got they got online services. They got members through the Wazoo nationwide. That's fine. 
they do they do they do well and they are doing things in the community. But that's not, I'm I'm on the ground. I'm on 38th and Wallace. I'm on I'm on um 56 and Vine. I'm on the back streets. I'm on uh 38th 51st and Brown. Those churches that are that are doing the real work and they're doing it with their hands and volunteers. And it's our job as city government, state government to notice that and be there to support them. Man, I brought trailers and trailers and mm-hmm. trailers of food into Frankfurt throughout the pandemic. Ask me if we got any help from any agency in this city. You probably did. Or in the state. Not one. You probably did. Just started our CDC. We just bought the building down the street. We're going to start a community center. We're going to build senior housing across the street. We got all of these plans mm-hmm. in this community. But we, these churches, are must, we need mm-hmm. the help. So if you're elected, I'm going to hold you to your commitment that you're going to open up pathways to help these churches because there is so much more we can be doing to affect change if we were resourced. Listen, I understand directly uh, how churches can help communities with a little bit of help from government. Uh, there's things that I've learned being an entrepreneur that churches can do to help generate more revenue for the church because of what you said. They went from 350 average to about 75. You got to understand the financial impact on churches. This building still got to operate. People ain't trying to hear when they come here Sunday morning, the heat ain't working. That's right. They don't care if there's only five members who, who can, who are able-bodied to get here. Mm-hmm. They want to come worship, whether it's one, two or a hundred people. That's right. So, 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 it's government's job and leader's job to make sure we work with you, not against you. But And you're right. We depend on y'all for votes. Then we should show up as much as we can, even when it's not election time. That's right. I know you're limited with time. Let's deal with a couple of the other things that you want to deal with mm-hmm. when uh, in your mind, because I know you're a Christian. You've already claimed it. So when, in your mind, when you've become mayor, Absolutely. Uh, uh, I want to deal with education and small business before you get out of here. Mm-hmm. All right. So education. Uh, I say this consistently. None of us are successful until every child has the opportunity to get a seat at the table of success. Mm -hmm. And what we have seen very clearly is the divide in education based on zip code. Uh, We're in buildings that need to be torn down. Uh, We've got, we've got, you know, you've got children going to their houses uh, who don't have proper workspaces or internet connectivity to learn, although I know a lot of that was dealt with during the pandemic. But we got a lot of issues. I got parents that have to donate money to their school, raise money so that the kids can have the basic necessities. That's nonsense. Mm-hmm. But then in another zip code, they got everything they need. What does a Brown administration look like? An almond Brown administration. That's about to say like. the real Brown. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, and, and you're right. Uh, I was the, and, 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 Please forgive me. I, I hate saying this, but it, it's factual. I was the first candidate to even mention knocking down the schools and rebuilding them. The first. Because I understand the, the current conditions of our traditional public schools. They're horrible. We still have schools with urinals embedded in the floors. We have stalls with no doors. You have uh, windows that don't open. You don't have heat in, in the winters, air in the summers. You see what's going on with this asbestos. 
So knowing the conditions, and my daughter, she goes to a public school. Knowing the physical conditions of the schools, there's no way that our children can learn in these environments. There's no way. You got bars on the windows. You know, the mindset that, that we're forcing our children to be in is no way you can, you can survive. The quality of the food is poor. Um, there was a post on social media a few weeks ago where they showed public schools food throughout the, throughout the country. And Philly looked like prison food. You had a, 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 little, a quarter ounce of peas, some, some, some frozen chicken and whatever. And then it showed other, other, other states and other countries with healthy options, fresh food. You know, so I understand the importance school played in my life. I was guaranteed something to eat and I was guaranteed shelter for at least eight to 10 hours a day. Right. You know, so, so in the first 100 days, we're going to fully evaluate each and every school building and not just, Oh, Hey, um, Hey, sir, go look at this school. No, we're going to bring in real outside professionals to evaluate these schools and determine if a school needs to be knocked down and rebuilt, uh, closed and relocated or, if it needs to be fully renovated and I don't see all this, all this asbestos and re- re- remediation. How can you remediate something the school was built with? It's always going to be there. So let's stop talking about remediation. We're spending millions of dollars on remediate. No, it don't work like that. So, so let's look at, um, you got Samuel Powell 36 and off of 36 and market. That was a $40 million investment from Drexel. But look what it did. They put two public schools in one brand new building. They created a model that we can we can adopt. And people say, Where are you, how are you going to pay for it? Look at the waste of money in all of these departments. You had the DA's office. They're short. Hundreds of, hundreds of staff making at least $70,000 a year each. Waste over there. And then they, the city keep giving them increases. Why? Take that money and move it over. Why do we keep putting money on top? Gun violence prevention programs have a serious problem with that. They're giving money to organizations that pop up overnight or to have a history of failing the communities that they say that they're serving. Millions of dollars. So we know that there's waste. We could be building these schools. Look at the job creation that that's going to bring. And then uh, somebody posed a question and said, well, what are you going to do with the children while they're building the schools? We can... If the schools, if we can bring them up to par to where they pass inspection, where they're safe, we can build on the vacant lots on the schoolyards. We're not using them anyway. When the last time you rolled past the school and seen kids in the schoolyard? You know what I mean? So there's ways that we can be creative to, to, um, to, to address the physical school structures. I would say you got to engage the community mm-hmm. as you move to make these changes. They just shut Frankfurt down, uh, and it was chaos. You know, mm-hmm. kids didn't know, people didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that's, uh, you know, it, the community has to be a partner mm-hmm. in anything that we do uh, to improve the system. Let's go to small business, and then I'm going to ask you last question. Um, you are an entrepreneur. Uh, you've learned, or as you said yourself, you've taken the hits so others don't have to take them. How do we help small businesses to prosper in a post-pandemic era? Yes. Uh, first and foremost, we have to make this city a pro, pro-business pro town. Uh, taxes are through the roof. Uh, 
you have this BERT tax that we that we plan to eliminate, and then we're going to reduce the other taxes to help small businesses. Uh, but then even getting started, we need a, we need a small business like toolkit, right? Because once you go on and register, there's nothing else after that. So we need a step-by-step system and we need a department that's going to solely focus on helping you become successful. Because if we do that, that small investment, that's going to generate tax revenue for years and years to come to help the city grow, right? We're not making money off of businesses that fail. We're just not. So, so it's going to be our goal in the, the A. Brown administration to make sure that businesses thrive because in the long run, it creates tax revenue for our city to invest. So we're going to get rid of the, the, the red tape. It's too strenuous. We're going to increase the, the small business contracts with the city of Philadelphia. There's no way it should be a, such a low percentage right now. And we need, and we're going to focus on making sure that black, black owned businesses get a large percentage of the city contracts. It's a must. Look what Maynard Jackson did in Atlanta. He told them these planes are going to be landing in dirt unless black people get in work. Yeah, it, it wasn't an option. It was in a Maynard Brown in a, in a Maynard Listen, Jackson administration. We we're going to do the same thing here, but on steroids. And I mean that. Um, the I was at the Black Men's Forum, um, Black Men's Forum, and he said, "Well, that sounds good, but how are you going to do it?" I said, "We did the same thing in the streets growing up." taking over communities and doing things in our own neighborhoods. Why can't we do it in the boardroom? Why can't we do it in city government? Why can't we do it in state government? We can't act like our voice only matter when it's, when it, when it personally benefits us. And there's a lot of that. So we need somebody with the courage that's going to make those tough decisions and stand their, stand their ground. And I'm your guy for that. I'm not going to, you know, City government officials, and I spoke to one on the phone last week. He called me and said, man, when I read that article that said black people are worse off than they were, black people are are owning less than they did 10 years ago, we have over 80% black leadership in this city. How are black people doing worse off than we were? Think about that. Let that sink in. We should be thriving as a people right now. My, 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 my state office should not be getting calls from seniors who are thanking us because of the food bank that we put a block away. Because now they no longer have to decide if they're going to pay for food or their medication, pay for food or their, or their tax bill. Because we took away that burden and then they didn't even ask for it. It was a need that we saw in that community and we, we oversaturated that, that, that community with assistance. Well, State Representative Amon Brown, it's been great talking to you, uh, and I've tried to do these long-form interviews with all of the candidates that have agreed to talk to us. Um, Sherelle Parker has mm-hmm. sat in the seat you're sitting in right now. Jimmy DeLeon mm-hmm. has spoken to us. Rebecca Reinhardt went to high school with her, as I told you, shared with you earlier. Um, Warren Bloom mm-hmm. has been here. Maria Quinones Sanchez before she dropped out of the race, Alan Dom, Helen Gim, David O. We've now spoken to everybody but Jeff Brown. Mm-hmm. So I will ask this question that I've asked of all of them. What makes you the right candidate to be the 100th mayor of Philadelphia? All these individuals that I've named. Mm-hmm. have great credentials. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've worked with several of them, mm-hmm. maybe friends with some of them. But why Amon Brown now for Philadelphia? Because I am not tied to any political party, any political family. I'm tied to the people. And that's what we need right now. We need, we need to end the division. We need to end communities being shut out because they, they were in a picture with a, a state senator from the other side of Market Street. We need to... We, the vision ends on May 16th once I become the Democratic nominee for this, for this election. I'm 35 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm a black man with lived experiences that any Philadelphian can relate to. I understand our problems. No one told me about the problems. And I have the courage to do what it takes to make sure that, that each and every community thrives. And under an A. Brown administration, every, every person, no matter who you pray to, who you go home to, or, or who you love, I will be a mayor for you, whether you vote for me or not. I'm not going to say, oh, well, I did poorly in that zip code. Let's not, let's not give them any attention. We're going to be a mayor for everybody. And that's what we need, a new beginning and a fresh start. And someone said to, this to me, uh, one of my seniors uh, in, in Overbrook Farms. She said, you're the right choice because if it ain't you, nothing's going to change. And I said, why would you say that, ma'am? She said, because all these other candidates, they already know who they're going to pick for, for, for this, that, and the third. And it's going to be the same old, same old. Our city needs a new beginning. And it starts with button 34 on May 16th. Philly's favorite listeners, you've heard him for the last 40 plus minutes. State Representative Amon Brown, candidate to become the 100th mayor of Philadelphia. Sir, thank you for joining us. Thank you for bringing Austin into the studio, your eight-year-old daughter. Are you going to say anything before we leave, Austin? Say something. Say something. (laughs) Say vote for my daddy. My dad. All right. That's enough right there. Hey, listen, man, thank you for joining us. We're going to be keeping you in prayer as you move to serve the people of Pennsylvania and of Philadelphia. God bless you, sir. God bless you, too. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right, Philly's favorite listeners, that is our show for this Sunday. We'll see you right back here, same Holy Ghost time, same Holy Ghost place, next Sunday, 2 p.m., and you have a blessed week. Let's take a little time and talk now About the state that we are living in mm-hmm. Political, spiritual, maybe some life While you are listening to Phyllis Favor yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio up yeah. And take a seat in the pastor's office Son.